what do you do? I don't know, but anyway, someone could keep me kind of posted there about 5 to 8. Um, have to be finished up this evening. Well, here we are gloriously together again this evening in the Word of God, which is always a good thing. Amen, brothers and sisters? Good to have God's Word before our very eyes this evening, before our very ears as we read it. And so turn with me, if there would, to the book of Revelation. We're going to be reading Revelation chapter 8, verses, uh, <clears throat> if you will, let me just take a look, get that right. Yes, verses uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13. So we'll read those uh, together this evening. And this is, brethren, the very word of God himself. Verse number 10 of Revelation chapter 8. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the, na and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. And so as the third part of them was darkened. And this is interesting how God put this in here. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Well, we've been seeing the judgment of God as he has again started, amen, as he is pouring out again his judgments upon the earth during the time of the great tribulation. And we have entered into the seven trumpets, and uh, we have certainly studied and seen that uh, just like the bowls and just like the vials, and they, they, when they are released, God releases judgment immediately. And certainly this is what we see in our text this evening. God here in our text now beckons, if you will, and I, I love using that kind of terminology because God speaks and, uh, and it just happens. He beckons here in our text a great burning star from the heavens which uh, he directs to fall upon a third part of the rivers and the springs and the wells of water. So what's happening here is God is taking away a third part of the earth's waters. John is led by the Spirit of God here in our text to tell us that the name of this star is Wormwood. Now that's an interesting word in the Bible, a word that is derived from absinthe, which is, of course, if you have smelled a plant or anything where absinthe comes from, I don't know if you have, but it's a bitter, dark green oil extracted from these strong-smelling plants. And I think Wendy was telling me, we were talking about it, that when she worked at, was it B&B &B Drug in Minot, right? That they, she dealt somewhat with this absinthe, which is an amazingly stinky, and I mean extremely, and can be very poisonous, to the point of making one sick even unto death. And so we see this here in our text. This is the word... That it means. In fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where this word wormwood is used. However, brethren, the Jewish, and again, we again see the Jewish, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it keeps going back to the Old Testament. It keeps going back to the Jewish mindset, if you will, because God is what? God is continuing. He's going to work with Israel. He's going to draw Israel, the Jewish people, onto himself again which he will do. He is not finished. But the Jewish brethren who are here, if they are living in the time of the Great Tribulation, this will mean much to them. Because in the Old Testament, God over and over and over again uses this word concerning judgment, 
concerning the poison. I mean, it's an amazing thing how we see this in Scripture, this weird wormwood, which is used eight times. In fact, it is associated with their bitterness, with the nation of Israel's bitterness. This was something that God used to describe to them when they would turn away to other idols. And he'd say, I'm going to make you bitter with wormwood. It's an amazing thing how we see the continuing work of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, let's look at that together this evening. Again, just a couple of them in the Old Testament. God directly ties wormwood with idolatry. And what are we talking about here, brother? What are they doing? We talked about this last week, amen, and the week before and the week before that, that men have turned from the true God, the living God of the Bible, to what? To worship idols, to worship the beast, to take his number. And this, again, is directly correlated with wormwood, idolatry, the worship of something apart from the God of the Bible is a most dangerous thing. So Deuteronomy chapter 29, let's just read that together here as we open, as I get my Bible there, Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look at verse 16, if you would, and we notice here how God directly ties this word, wormwood, eight times in the Old Testament, once in the New for ye know uh, how we have dealt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which ye passed by. And he has seen their abominations and their what? Their idols. There it is again. He's tying this stuff to idolatry. Do you see how God views idolatry? Idolatry can come in many ways, but here specifically, turning away. When you put something in place or in front of or in the image of God, that's idolatry. People laugh. I, you know, idolatry comes in many forms, even in today's world. I had an idol. It started with a G, ended with an F. G O L F. Golf. People like like Morgan. They laugh, but let me tell you what happened. Just in reality, right? It would control me. It controlled me completely and totally. We had, I don't remember who was it, Wendy, I hate to even, well, it's a confession before the church, so it was an idol of mine. One of our children was sick. Huh? Oh, you were sick. With newborn twins. Oh, you were sick, okay. I'm sorry, honey. See how men, we forget things, you know what I mean? We thank you ladies for being so kind to us. She was deathly sick, very sick. Okay, you were very sick. Just had twins. And she tried to get a hold of me for 14 hours. About 14 hours. And guess where I was? Can you imagine? Brother Graham, 14 hours on the golf course? That's pretty sick. Especially when your wife is deathly ill. That's what happens. When you put anything above God or above your family like that, that's idolatry. And God, it is a detestable thing. And this is what he's talking about. He, he likens idolatry to wormwood. Look at there, if you would, in the verse. And ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and what? Wormwood. There it is. It's tied together. Now, in Scripture, we're going to see this, specifically here in our text. Wormwood, the poisoning, the making bitter of waters, over and over again, God ties in the Old Testament this idea. That, that's why when he's saying this, 
Those who come from the Jewish background would know immediately what God's talking about. Wormwood, that's bitterness. That's, and he ties it directly to water on several occasions. I want you to see this several times. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Again, just a couple of the Old Testament portions of Scripture here. By the way, it is, I almost said Saturday evening. It's Wednesday evening. And uh, anybody know what Jeremiah's called, what he's known for? What's his, what's his, uh, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Vicki. Yes, he's known as the weeping prophet. He was a preacher of his time. God used him in a great and glorious way. And here in chapter 9 of Jeremiah, again, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's bringing the word of God to them. He's calling on God's people, what, to repent, 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 repent. This is what he was doing all the time, weeping while he's doing it, weeping because God's people would not repent. Look at verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 9, look at verse 14. Well, look at verse 13. And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood. You see that there again? Bitterness, poison. I will feed them, he says, and give them water of gall to drink. You notice how wormwood and gall are mixed together? Who else was offered gall? You remember that? The Lord Jesus on the cross. It is an intoxicating thing. It's designed to take away the pain. That's why Jesus would not do it, would not take it. But... You see this in Scripture, in Jeremiah especially. Look at one more, Jeremiah 23. Just a couple of them here, and then we'll move on. But you see here again the connection between idolatry and wormwood. Again, in Revelation, this is what they're doing. They've turned away from the God of the Bible. They, in fact, are rebellious and are rebelling against him. Verse 14, I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, and a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doeth, re, uh, doth return from his wickedness. So they are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the heavens thereof of Gomorrah. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets in, uh, of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. So again, this is what we see. Now, brother, we remember, don't we, there was another occasion in Holy Writ. Do you remember the term Mara, the waters of Mara? Do you remember that when they were coming out of Egypt and God was leading? They started grumbling, complaining. And so the waters of Mara there, you remember that they were bitter. And Moses, remember, cast what? He cast a tree, a stick on top of the waters. And the waters became what? Sweet. Amen. That, of course, was a picture. That was a picture of who? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. His crucifixion, whereby taking away the bitterness of sin and death and giving forth sweetness as he has finished work on the cross. It really is quite an amazing thing. So we, we see here that God gives them wormwood and poisonous water, which brings death rather than life. Now, how can we, as brothers and sisters, we read these texts a lot of times, practically speaking, brothers, Practically speaking, how does it affect us today? What, what can we glean from it? Well, we can glean this for sure, that men, most of the time, will do anything 
They will do anything to remove the thought of a coming judgment of God from their minds. They will. They will do almost anything, won't they? Goats will do anything to stop this thinking concerning God, a holy God. But on the other hand, and again, this is why we went this weekend. This is why we opened the Bible. This is why the men who were preaching had their Bibles open, preaching the word of God. Because texts like this, texts like this one and many others in Scripture, as they always do, will get a hold of, brethren, will cause in the veins of the lost sheep for their blood to run cold. This is a way that God uses to draw one who is lost, a lost sheep. Many times texts like this will cause one to pause, to consider themselves as God is calling them. And it's a sobering thing. He uses, as I said, these kinds of judgments and texts in the lives of the sheep to draw them onto himself, to cause them to pause. Think of this, brothers, for a moment. This past weekend is a great example of that. Think for a moment if God, as he's there, and we're preaching the word of God, and brothers, it was chaos. There was some chaotic stuff going on. Imagine, if you will, for just a moment that there was one, one there. And in the midst of the chaos, God used that for them to stop and to consider who they are and what they're doing. That's what these kinds of texts do. For one who will come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will create these things in them. They will hear these things. They will not put out of their mind. And like Brother Key said, there were some great conversations. Who knows what might become of that? As they're considering. <laughs> Ooh. By the way, Brother Keith, you have a moniker now. I think it was, was that you, Isaac? He says, listen to Brother Keith, how he, how he introduces himself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> I come to you in the name of the Lord. And after I started listening to his preaching, that's exactly what he does. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're lost deep in your sin right here, right now. But you know what? There's good news. And it's these kinds of things. When we consider, when God and the Spirit of God is drawing one, they will read this and go, I have fear of God. It brings a good, healthy, biblical fear of God. And they will hear, brethren, those who are lost sheep will hear in the stillness of the chaos, they will hear Christ's voice and follow him. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, what God does and how he does that. And this really is a practical thing for us to consider as we continue to read the word of God, continue to study the word of God, and continue to preach the word of God. Multifaceted power, you could call that. Look back there at Revelation chapter 8 now. We're going to get into verse number 12, Revelation chapter 8. Look there at verse number 12. And look at verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. When this fourth trumpet sounds, brethren, we notice that God's divine judgment removes itself from the earth and heads to the celestial bodies. Think of that for a moment. That, 
that, that, that, that, that's, that's really a stunning thing when you think about that. He looks at the heavens. The heavenly bodies here are plagued by God himself. See, this is the thing. There's many. If you study some of these commentaries, they'll say, well, those heavenly bodies were darkened by the smoke from the ash of the whatever. Now, brethren, that might be true. It could be true. But I rather lean to the sovereignty of God because God is making this very clear that it is He who is doing this. If one can simply explain that a third of the stars and a third of the sun and a third of the moon are darkened by simply saying, well, there's a cloud in the sky, they will. Lost man will say that. But when you understand that it's the sovereign hand of God moving, and he is revealing that it is he who is bringing this judgment. Oh, the clouds suddenly go away. Yes, they do. This is clearly a sovereign hand of God. And as a result, that's why he put that in there. See, God controls the solar system. God controls the power of the solar system. He created it. He spoke it into existence. And it's interesting as we consider this, that he controls the days. He controls the rotation of the earth. Amen? He controls the rising of the sun, the setting thereof. He controls the moon rising and the moon setting. He controls all of that. And then, brethren, surely he controls the mechanics, the mechanisms within that solar system and power. He can speak, and the third of the light's gone immediately. You know how we know it's God doing it? And that it's not just smoke rising up because the asteroid just crashed into the water? Because you know what he does in another spot in Scripture? He doesn't turn the power of the solar down. He turns it up. Do you understand that? He doesn't just turn it down. He turns it up. And only God can do that when he speaks. Again, all creation at his command. It does his will. It bends its knees to his will and his speaking look at revelation 16 again it is oh thank you mark mark slagan be down <laughs> we'll close with this this evening brother no this isn't just some smoke rising up blocking out the stars and the moon and the sun no this is the hand of god speaking because here in revelation 16 he reverses that and turns it up look there if you would at verse number seven See, I don't like that when men try and explain God's miraculous working away. I, I don't like that at all. And I don't like it when pastors do it. Oh, it's just something. No, it's miraculous. It is the power of God. God's revealing himself to these brothers, or to these people, these, these inhabitants of the earth. Look there as he turns it up in Revelation 16. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. <laughs> His judgments are always right. They're always true. And they're always good. Look at verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to what? To scorch men with fire. No, he reverses that now. He gives it power to burn. He just he turns it up. It's like turning on that, well... On your Kubota tractor, or your John Deere tractor over here, Brother Graham. We'll keep that in. <laughs> you adjust your beamers. You turn them down or you turn them up. 
for an illustration. That's what God does. He simply speaks it. And it listens to him and bows to his command. Here he turns it up. In our text, he turns it down. Now, there's a reason why he does that. Because you know what happens when you turn down the power of the sun? When you interrupt the comfort of the rhythm of the day? Think of that for a moment, brethren. This has far-reaching ramifications. It isn't just that, hey, he's turning it up or down, but he's altering the rhythm of a day. That, that's the power of God. That's what God's doing. He's revealing himself. One of those uh, people asked me, prove God is real. Prove it to me. You can't prove it. And uh, all, all, I, all I said was, <laughs> I pointed up to creation. And I said, look, look there. Okay? God has spoken. His creation is speaking to you now. Oh, that set him right off. That didn't go over well at all. But that's surreal. Isn't it what Romans says? Men are without excuse. For even the creation speaks. Speaks of his handiwork. Here we have God controlling his handiwork. He's simply telling it to beam down a little bit. And uh, we're going to alter the days. Which, of course, alters what? As we look and you see... It alters the food supply. It alters the water supply. It alters all of these things. It changes them all. All these things that men are relying on are slipping away. You ain't, well, ain't ain't a word. If you don't have water, only here his grace is being shown, isn't it? Because it's only what? How much of the water? Just a third of it in our text. There's only a third of the sun, only a third of the moon, only a third of the stars. There's coming a day when it will be completely black and darkened. The day of the Lord is coming. And I see I must come to an end. That's, that's read there. So, All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll be, and we'll be finished. <clears throat> Father, this evening we thank you for seeing the power of God. And uh, Lord willing, next week we will see more of how... You simply command the angel to blow the trumpet. And immediately at your command, the celestial bodies obey. Father, that's power. That is sovereign power. And Lord, we, we think of, if we can take it just a little bit deeper, we think of salvation. We think of how miraculous that is. That you will take a man or a woman or a child. One who is dead in their sins. One who is at enmity with you. One who is controlled by their sinful nature. One who is controlled by Satan himself. And you miraculously reach right into the soul of that man, woman, or child. Right into their heart. The Spirit of God goes. And He takes out that heart of stone and He replaces that with a heart of flesh. He goes upward from there to the mind. The mind that was at enmity with you is now able, as Paul wrote, is able to now comprehend those spiritual things. Where before it was not able to do that. Now the mind can think in spiritual matters. Father, we thank you for that. 
And again, as we close in prayer this evening, we, we pray for those who heard the word this last weekend. And those who will continue to hear the word as we, Lord willing, are faithful to the word of God. As we confront the evil one with the power of the gospel. Father, we pray for our well-being. We pray for our spiritual well-being, for our church, our gathering. And I don't mean the building. I mean our, those whom you have gathered together here. We pray for your protection in our families, in our children, in our singles, in our widows. Oh, Father, we thank you for bringing such a great, diverse group together. We pray, Father, again for your protection around us. And now, Lord, we pray as we leave this place this evening that your hand will guide and direct us as we go to our workplaces tomorrow, as we again wander out amongst those who are lost. May you give us the strength and the power and the wisdom to speak the truth in love. Look for open doors that we might step through under the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, we love you now and thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.